0: Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. It's a beautiful day. I noticed something standing at the door that I need to share with you, though. When you were coming in with your children, you need to introduce them to uh, a long-standing helpful time during cold weather it's called long underwear and 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 if they're not going to wear a coat at least get them some long underwear i saw so many of them coming in you know and and these things are really good and they're cheap and uh, well anyway that's for what it's worth most of you i hope have a copy of the insert in the bulletin if you don't go get you one i want everybody to know as well as we can i'll put another one in next week with some pictures Um, i want everybody to know what has taken place in uganda it, it spells, Eddie and Patrick have written a summary of the opening of the church. The, the significant thing was that, uh, there, there are two things really. One is that when the invitation was given under first service, 67 people accepted Christ. These are 67. These are not church hoppers now. These are people who had never heard the gospel and responded. Since then, in the last two weeks, it's over a hundred. And Mr. Mathala, who runs 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 the children's home there where Patrick Kennedy grew up, told me that within the first 18 months to two years, they anticipated there would be over 500 converts. Now, what they do is a young man named Francis that some of you all know, he is in charge of taking all new converts, teaching them to make sure they know what they're doing, and then they baptize them. And that'll be taking place any minute, any time now, for the initial converts. On Sunday afternoon, there was a, there was a great old big tent there, And in that tent were 2,000 seats. And the community was invited to come to hear about the church and the upcoming school. In here, you have, we've already hired all the teachers, and the school is ready to open the 19th of this month. How many students we'll have? I don't know. It's the maximum we can handle is around initially because of room is around 250. Now, how many will be enrolled there? I don't really know, but that's what's going on. And the reason on Sunday afternoon, over two about 2,100 people showed up. We, we killed a cow and some other things, and and uh, fed 1,700 when we ran out of food, and there are about another 400 that showed up. Uh, after that didn't get fed what they're really excited about is having a high school there's a small muslim school there but their kids cannot go on to college because in the english system you have to not only finish high school you have to then pass a test that qualifies you for college and um, and so they're really excited about having a christian high school and in that high school christ and the bible will be taught as one of the subjects just like anything else and uh, i just wanted you to have an update and as i said next week we'll insert probably 10 or 15 pictures that will show you, and it will kind of demonstrate what Patrick and Eddie have written here in the summary that they've given you. And, and on the back of that first uh, cover page, there's a there's a there's um, uh, at least one paragraph on the back of that that you might miss if you don't look carefully. If you have any questions about that, I'll be hanging around here, and you're perfectly welcome to ask them And if I know the answers. And and I should know most of them because we've been kept in the circle of information pretty much as things have happened this morning we're looking at a text from the second chapter of the book of revelation and remember that it isn't revelations it is revelation singular the revelation of jesus christ the book of revelation it was written uh, to the seven churches and then distributed to all other churches the reason these seven churches were selected is because number seven mean it, it was an indication this is for the church universal because the word seven is used in the Bible a lot because of what happened at creation. So these, this book was distributed and probably not read by many people because most of the people could not read and write. So what they did in churches, because in many instances half of the congregation were slaves who who by law could not read and write. So there was someone designated just like Timothy was in, in Ephesus, which is one of these churches. His responsibility was on Sundays when they gathered to read the scriptures to them so they could all hear and help them to memorize them. So they'd have someone who would read them. And the interesting thing was, most of the people understood exactly what was being said when they wrote it. Today it's a mystery to most of us because apocalyptic literature is something that we don't have anymore. It was very popular in that day. There are tons of, we've got tons of it that were uh, written that was common in that era that we still have copies of them. And so they understood and applied it to their life then. They never thought anything about 200 years, 2,000 years away. Because the television is filled with ads about uh, the rapture and so on and so forth. And um, they would have swallowed hard and said, what the heck are you talking about? they understood that what was being written was to be applied to them in a hurry. Because if you look at the text, all and, it's, and you really should read the first uh, three chapters time and time again and get it in your head. So, and, and it's better to prepare ahead of time so that what we talk about, you have some understanding and, and can ask intelligent questions. But if you look carefully at your bulletin, you will see that I emphasize two or three things there. He says, for instance, in chapter 1, when he opens the book, he then gives you the lens through which the rest of the book is to be written. He says it this way, and this is Jesus doing the talking. If you look, it's in red ink. He says it this way, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And, are, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, what is written, because the time is near. William Barclay in his commentary uh, uh, translated that this way, which will soon happen. And then in verse, here in the second chapter, he says, uh, otherwise I will soon come. Because So they were looking at stuff that was going to happen to them right away. Now, when we get to the stuff like the rapture and other stuff, that, that'll become clear later on. But the whole concept of the rapture as it's being put on television and so on, that whole concept didn't come into existence until a little over 200 years ago. It didn't exist in the early church. Didn't exist for say 1,800 years. But uh, and we don't have time to introduce how it all took place because it's kind of bizarre, really. But but it caught on and it's a fad. The problem is they're saying that things that that they've developed this whole complex system that, that they have difficulty supporting scripturally. My response to all of that is always give me book chapter and verse i want to know what the bible says and you can keep your you can have your opinion and by the way some of the people who are promoting this on television happen to be friends of ours we don't use that as a uh, as a line in the sand that says if you don't agree with me we don't you know you're not a christian or make silly accusations. there's room here for uh, for opinions, because this doesn't amount to anything as far as salvation is concerned, other than the fact that the Bible, here in in these first three chapters, the emphasis is being faithful unto death. Staying faithful until you die. Now let's look, if we can, I'm going to read the text, because it doesn't take long, and then we'll kind of go through it. Starting at verse 12, chapter 2. To the angel of the church at Pergamum, sometimes that's Pergamus, the angel here uh, may mean one or two different things. The word angel always translated into English. The Anglos, the Greek word translated into English always means messenger. English translation would be it would say this to the messenger of the church in Pergamum, right? Now that could very easily be the preacher. could easily be, probably was. Even though so much of Revelation is in code talk. And this could be a code for what they considered to be a guardian angel. Because they not only believed, and some of us do too, in guardian angels for the church, also for individuals. And I can give you some scripture on that sometime when we can kick it around. But regardless... The point is that this is in red ink again. This is Jesus through directly addressing these seven churches in the province of Asia Minor, which is a Roman province. He goes on to say, here's what you're to write. These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. That sharp double-edged you use scripture to interpret scripture. And... The double-edged sword is the Word of God. In other places in Scripture, it's actually pointed that out. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. That double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. We'll talk about that in a minute. It's not any great mystery. Yet who? Yet you remain true to my name. If I were you, I would underline the word name. This becomes a big issue. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas. Antipas was a martyr who remained faithful. He didn't have to. He could have done something very simple and lived, but he didn't who was put to death in our city where Satan resides. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and uh, committing sexual immorality. In the Old Testament... As in the New, a prob, the problem of eating meat offered to idols was a big issue. The reason for that is because the, the pagan folks believed that when you took your offering to the pagan temple and offered that, so let's say it's a goat or a sheep or a heifer or whatever, whenever that thing was offered, And it was blessed by the pagan priest that the meat was then indwelt by the demons of that temple. And so it became, did that really happen? The apostle Paul says, no. It didn't, but they thought it did. And when you think something is really true until you know differently, that becomes a big issue. And so, in the New Testament, as well as the Old, this is addressed, as well as in this text. Because meat offered to idols, here's the way it was done. I bring in the offering, I give it to the priest, he kills it, skins it, bleeds it, cuts it up, puts it in a cauldron, cooks it. And while they're they're butchering the animal, Certain of the entrails then are taken and, and put on a little fire and sends up smoke. And th- that's what God gets. He was kind of cheated, but that's what he got. And then the priest gets to take a big old meat hook and put down in here and pull out what he wants for himself to take home for his family. And the rest of it then is, is given back to the person who offered it. And then he can have a party. Bringing his family or his friends, and they have a barbecue. And it's uh, uh, and so they're eating that meat that they believe is indwelt by the demons of their religion. They felt that so strong. In the New Testament, especially in the book of Romans, you get to the fourteenth chapter of the book of Romans. It's an interesting. Even in the New Testament, it becomes a real issue. and here and and so we take here's an individual who's just been converted out of a pagan religion and he believes that the meat offered to idols is infested by demonic powers. And then he goes to church because he's a new convert, and he finds out that the Christians are buying this meat that's been offered to idols down at the meat store and eating it, and he's offended by it. Even though the Apostle Paul said, if there's nobody around, just pray for it and eat it, it's fine. Doesn't hurt anything. But, if you cause a new convert to stumble, that's a serious matter. He goes so far as to say this, and some of you vegetarians will love this. I think you're a little cracked in the head, but it's all right because you've got canine teeth just like I have. But what he said there in the 14th chapter was you would be better off to be a vegetarian than to, meat eat, to eat the meat offered to idols if it causes a weaker brother to stumble. The New Testament teaches, above all other things, that once you're converted, the most important thing in the whole Bible is that we love each other. And in in certain situations, we put your welfare above our own. Because that's what Jesus did with the agape love. He put our need above his comfort. He emptied himself of the privileges of heaven, came to earth, put skin on just like we do, suffered, went to a cross, and died just to benefit us. And so he's saying, if you love people, you don't do anything that causes them to stumble. That's why Jesus told his disciples, and we don't like to hear this as Americans, that we put freedom you know way up there is a big thing and it is important but scripture actually says that we ought to prefer other person above ourselves if we're going to be like Jesus so meat offered to idols is just one issue Other issues that cause people to stumble, we should be sensitive about. Because Jesus actually said this. He said, and he uses illustrations that are effective. He said, if you are going to cause, just consciously say, I don't care about them, I do what a daggone will, please. And you cause a weaker brother to stumble, you would be better off to have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown in the pond. He was just emphasizing how important agape love is in the life of the church and believers. He goes on and and addresses another group called the Nicolaitans who essentially did the same thing. And what they were saying is, we know that these things aren't infested with demons, so if they're having a party and you've got a friend that goes there, go, go participate. The other problem was that in pagan worship, they had a brothel associated with the temple. And they were what they call sacred prostitutes, both male and female. And Christians were saying, well, since we're saved by faith and, uh, and God's grace and His mercy, uh, it doesn't make any difference what we do. His grace is greater than our sin, so have at it. That's the reason in the sixth chapter of Romans, the Apostle Paul said, should we, you know, when he was talking about that very problem that existed in Rome, He asked the question in the sixth chapter, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And his answer was, God forbid. How shall we who are separated from sin, the the King James and others use the word death, but separation is a better, the Greek word thanatos literally means separation. How can us who are separated from sin live any longer therein? So we have a a divine mandated responsibility of caring for each other and looking out for each other, and especially for the weaker brethren. Then he says, if you're involved in this, I'm not damning you to hell yet. But he does say, repent, which means turning from what you're doing that's wrong and headed in the right direction. It really is a military term that we would call about face. So he says, Repent therefore, otherwise I will soon come. Get that, an underline soon. I will soon come. This isn't 2,000 years from now. This is now. And you will fight against, and I will fight, and, and, and will fight against, them. And I, I, that word fight indicates it's a, it's a spiritual warfare. Fighting to me means fighting. And it's going to do it with the sword of the word of God. And he, he concludes here as he does with the other letters saying, Who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, which means remaining loyal, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will soon also give him white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Let's quickly look at the city of Pergamon itself. It is the capital city of the rich, wealthy province of Asia Minor, which is today Turkey. It was both a cultural and a literary center of the ancient world. Known all over the world, by the way. Even as far as Babylon or into India. They had people who came that far for a good reason that I'll point out to you in a minute. For you who are in the medical profession, you'll appreciate it. It was a literary center because it had the largest... It had the large, second largest library in the ancient world. They had in their storage over 200,000 scrolls. That was second only to Alexandria in northern Egypt. Alexandria was the largest library in the ancient world. They had people coming from all over the world just for that library and for the educational center that was in Alexandria. But the people in Pergamum decided that they would like to hire the librarian at the library in Alexandria. The mayor of Alexandria found out about it and arrested their librarian and put him in jail so the people in Pergamos couldn't hire him. Now, there were other things that happened with that. There was a struggle going on here. Not only did they put the librarian in jail so he shouldn't go there because he was known worldwide. They also refused to send them any more writing material. The papyrus that was used to write on was controlled mostly out of the Nile area of Egypt. And it was a great exporting thing. So they refused to send any more to Pergamus, Pergama. Pergam- whatever you want to call it. It's the capital city. And so what the people in Pergamum did is they started taking animal skins and fixing them so that you could ride on them. And believe it or not, they ended up putting the papyrus stuff out of business, and it became the way that stuff was written and preserved just a little interesting story we have a lot of that stuff written down and and when you study it and understand it it becomes the key to understanding the book of Revelation it's not a great mystery if you do your homework it was also a great religious center by that I mean they had big temples there when Alexander the Great conquered that whole Mediterranean world even clear into Afghanistan and India Ended up coming back to Babylon because that's where the gold was and hung out there until he died. There's a the temple of Zeus that was there to help maintain Greek culture because wherever Alexander <coughs> conquered a people, he bought the Greek culture and mandated that they learn the language and, and, and adopt their culture. And that took place here. That's why the temple of Zeus and athens and and athene and diagnosis and 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 the one that you want to remember is Asclepius. now there's t- two or three doctors that hang out here and i don't know how well informed they are but i'm going to get ready to find out do you know what the symbol outside of the temple of Asclepius was It was a snake on a pole. Guess what the symbol of me- in medicine today is, doctor? Snake on a pole, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. We, we've got a lot of things in our culture that has its roots in ancient Greek and Roman culture. They also built another temple there and this became the real issue. By the way, the second best-known person in medicine in, ancient, in the ancient world was born there. The best-known probably was the guy from which we get the Hippocratic Oath. The second is probably Galen. And Galen was actually bought, was hatched there in Pergamum. But they also did something for political reasons. Rome built a temple called Roma. Rome had a problem. They had conquered all of the world from North Africa all the way over uh, into Mesopotamia, then clear back up to England, up into what's modern-day France. How do you keep all of these people as one nation, and so they came up with using the Roman temple and assigning priests there with political power. The, the whole business of the of the temple of Roma was political, but it was they used religion to enforce what they wanted. When we get to the thirteenth chapter, you'll see this more clearly. What they did is they said, hey, look, if you're going to be a citizen of Rome and want all of the rights and privileges of a Roman citizen, once a year you have to go to the temple of Roma or wherever they designate. And you have to go there and you take a little bit of incense and you throw it on some coals and just say Caesar is Lord. Then you were giving a certificate that gave you all of the rights and privileges as a citizen of Rome for the following year. Christians refused to do that, and they named Antipas as one of them in particular. They said, no, we're not going to do that. We, there, the Bible, and we've been taught there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father and all, blah, 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 blah. We cannot do that. And the minute you refused to do that, you were labeled as an outlaw. And you were denied, then all of the privileges of commerce and other things that a citizen would have, and you were essentially labeled, and in many instances, the penalty was death, even though in some instances they just held it over your head rather than to do it. But the law said they had the power of life and death. And they used that to say, okay, this is the way we cement the citizenship of the Roman Empire. When we get over into the 13th chapter, you will find that there are two beasts that are mentioned there. One of them came up out of the sea. Another came from the land. You will see and want to keep in mind as you read that the one who comes up out of the sea is code talk for the Roman Empire. The other one, the second beast, was Caesar worship, deifying Caesar. Around the city, if you were approaching Pergamus or Pergamum from the south, and I've been in that area. You approach, all this is gone, but if you approach that area from the south where they built the Temple of Zeus, and then it was built on an on a earthen platform, and with the, sit, with the temple in the back of it, it was built to look like a giant chair. And the Apostle John calls it the seat where, or the throne where Satan sits. Because it had become the city center of opposition to the kingdom of God. And Satan is always behind that. Here in verse 13, that's what he said, It is where Satan resides. Now, there are certain words here that are code words that we've already talked about. We'll go through this pretty quickly. The teaching of Balaam was simply that there's nothing wrong... And see, this is the compromise that we're all faced with, whether we like to admit it or not. The compromise is this. We know that there are no, there's, that this business of, um, of meat offered to idols, we, we know that that's just superstition. So what does it hurt if we go to the temple and eat? And we and they actually were guilty of. We'll see it later on when Jezebel hits the scene. What does it hurt to get a real deal on meat? The body has to eat. Nothing wrong with that. And and we know. So what does it hurt to throw a little stuff on a on a fire and say Caesar is Lord? What what you know? What does that hurt? Jesus is saying this. If I tell you there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, you're saying, no, there's two or three or four. And so he's saying you don't compromise on essential issues. And the Lordship of Jesus Christ is an essential issue you don't compromise on it. He's already said, you see, the, the, these seven churches were selected by the Spirit of God on purpose to teach you and me what God wants His church to look like, both in practice, attitude, and for our witness to the world. That's why they're here. That's why they're important to them at that time and they're important for us today you know as well as i do that the body of christ the church universal is being split right down the middle on issues like marriage of homosexuals even in the clergy we've had them here in town the Methodist Church at one time was this, the, the most progress most well that's not the right word anymore uh, progressive means left wing liberal they were they were the most evangelistic church in the U S at one time. Every little community had a Methodist church and 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 a preacher, and the preacher, John Wesley, set up a, a system, and preachers were held accountable. And one of the questions that they were held accountable for when they came before the area superintendent was, how many people did you make mad this week? And if you didn't make anybody mad, the the assumption was you didn't do your job. Because when you oppose Satan and sin, you're you're going to stir the pot. And so many of our churches today have said, well, You know, it's a cultural thing. We'll go along with it. It doesn't really hurt anything. And so uh, we will perform uh, marriages of of homosexuals and uh, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And those who don't, we will label as hate people. And so many of the churches have, didn't want to be called hate people, and so they have, compromised on that's just one issue I could give you a half a dozen our responsibility is to look the culture straight in the face and say this is what the word of God says and that's what we're going to where we stand and we'll not and and that's in spite of the fact that in many of our families now, including mine, not on my side, but on our case side, that's where the sinners are. And, and there's, a young, there's a young woman who chose to be a lesbian. She's intelligent, likable, and we actually love her. But that doesn't mean you compromise on the Word of God. You continue to love the sinner even though you don't agree with him. I can tell you what interesting happened here on that subject, and then I got to move along because I'm not in charge of the clock. I should be, but I'm not. Well, I forget that story, but it's a good one. Let's go on. Let's keep on going. So, Rome is, is, is identified, and you'll see this as we get to the 13th chapter, if I told you, is identified as, the, uh, as representing the kingdom of this world. The church represents the kingdom of God. Each of them have a loyalty test. Rome says... You take a bit of incense and you throw it on the fire. And we're going to actually demonstrate this for you when we get over to the 13th chapter. And say, Caesar is Lord. The loyalty test for the kingdom of God, and it's the only creed in the Bible, says, Jesus Christ is Lord. that's the loyalty test the temptation to compromise oh, what does it hurt the body has to eat da, 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 da. it's just a silly superstition just go ahead and do it so you can live your life but the Bible says when you do that when you do that you have denied Christ who is Lord of the kingdom and a couple of texts that that I need to read for you here in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus is talking again here in verse 33 I should read more but here's what it says that you and I are to do but seek first his kingdom And His righteousness. That's our first requirement. Faithful, seeking God's kingdom and being faithful to it is what you and I are called to do, and nothing short of that. And when you go back then and look at this text that we just read here in the second chapter, he makes a threefold, he says, there's a threefold blessing to those who remain faithful want you to look at those quickly if we can number one he says i'm going to share with you the hidden manna now i i don't have time to go into this because it's a big long thing that uh, that's necessary but there was a uh, there was a in the early church in judaism in in particular where they long for the coming of the Messiah, there was a story that said that, that uh, Jeremiah had hidden some of the manna and that when the Messiah come, it would be brought out and, and shared. And that's what he's talking about here. But I don't have time to really dig into it at some depth. But that's what he's talking about. Because so he's saying, the hidden manna is what you would share at, uh, at the because the story is that you and I, if we remain faithful, will at some point in time, at the end of this world's existence, participate in a messianic breakfast with Jesus himself. And at that time they're saying, that because Jesus, you see, Jesus is the bread of heaven. Just as the manna fed the Israelites and cared for them, we will feed on Jesus and our spirit will be strengthened and become eternal. And he says says this, And I'll also give him a white stone. You know, so you all are more familiar with this than you think you are. Because this is another one of those things that has come down through history that we still do. And some, if you are a mason, you know that if if a, a unreal cuss like me were to fill out the little thing and apply it to be a mason, somebody there would put a black ball in there and I wouldn't get in. Because the, you get to choose between the white ball and the white the, and the and, and 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 that's that's just the custom they have. That's true in a lot of other areas too. But the white thing that was really big here is because the Asian Games took place here in the capital city of Asia. And they were they were as big as they used to be in Athens. I mean, it was a, people came from all over the, the Mediterranean world to participate in those Asian Games. And if you won, you were given a white stone with your name on it. And that that would give you entrance from then on, you have a lifetime entrance into the games. You have a lifetime interest into a lot of other places that ordinarily you couldn't get in. It was a valued thing. And so you had that and they were fully aware of that. This is something that was common at that particular time. So he's saying, I'm going to give you a white stone. And only you are going to know what's names on it. But it will give you access to the kingdom of God. To an eternal kingdom. And on it, <laughs> there will be a new name that only you will know. Now, the new name was a common practice. You remember? And, and you know this ahead of time, but just need to be reminded. Do you remember what Peter's real name was? Say, Simon. His name was Simon. But Jesus said, I'm going to call you Peter. In Greek, Petra and Petros. One of them is a rock that you can skip across the creek if you've ever been a kid and done things like that. If you haven't, then you've missed out on life. He said, Peter, that's who you are. You're just a skipping stone. But on this rock, meaning and the antecedent of this rock goes back to the fact that Peter said, Jesus is the Christ. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades cannot overcome it. So Peter, Simon's name was changed to Peter. It was a common thing. You and I will have a new name. And and the songwriters were aware of this a long time ago. For those of you who have any gray hair, do you remember the song, There's a New Name Written Down in Glory, and it's, say, mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. That's an old hymn that you poor kids never have learned. They've dumbed down even religion, haven't they? Jesus is Lord, and the New Testament emphasizes that, and as Lord, he can give us a new name just like he did Peter and others. He has that authority. Here's who he really is. As the Apostle Paul quotes a section, he said, meaning Jesus this is in Philippians 2:9 Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of, every, of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and even in purgatory under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father It is important only to recognize Jesus as Lord. Because he's the only one who can give you a new name and entitle you as full citizenship in the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul says in that third chapter of Philippians, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there who is Lord Jesus Christ. Who that by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Just like Rome gave him a little piece of paper that said, you have, you have acknowledged that Caesar is Lord, that gave you freedom to do whatever a citizenship of Rome would do. He said, I'm giving you a white stone with your name written down on it that will give you all the privileges of the kingdom of God. And you know what that name is. There is a name above every name. Who has the authority to give us a new name? And it's written down in glory. And God be praised. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can say, and it's mine. I know it's mine. So Lord Jesus, bless this gathering of people. Help us to resolve through the power of your Holy Spirit and the encouragement of each other to remain faithful and loyal to you and your kingdom until we take our last breath and then we look forward to hearing You say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys that I've prepared for you since the foundation of this world. Oh, God, be praised. And thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Take up your bed and walk. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.